Welcome to church. Uh, this week is revival group week. So just, yeah, get get into that, get fired up. And, uh, yeah, the way that that Holly's arranged the revival groups is like our connect groups. Uh, the revival group leaders, even though that they're like spiritual mums and dads in each group, uh, just be aware that they are uh, working full time, so they are limited in what they can do for you. So um, they they have the oversight of the group, but the groups are filled with leaders, and you guys are all part of that group. So you have to exercise leadership, you know, in your own way, in, in your own capacity, and and just they are groups that you can serve in and and pray for people and and just be free to minister to one another in love and also minister to your revival group leaders and pray for one another and serve one another. And it's just a, a focal point for the church to really just live live out the Christian life. So, yeah, I just encourage you to just do things differently. Don't just, it's just not the normal thing. And, yeah, just I thank the Lord for his heart in inviting us to be his bride. And, um, yeah, when Jesus came, he came preaching the kingdom, the kingdom of God, kingdom is coming, kingdom is coming. But what does the kingdom look like on the earth? The closest example that we have uh, for the kingdom of God is the marriage institution, institution of marriage and so this morning we're going to be looking at a little bit about what marriage looks like and some biblical keys to, to good marriage. And then tonight we want to look at how, as single people, as unmarried people, how we should position ourselves in preparation for marriage. And the biblical keys that will help us to do that, there's a lot of confusion around, you know, singleness and dating and um, the process of being engaged and things like that. So, yeah, um, you guys are mostly married or some getting ready to get married. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be looking a little bit more from the marriage point of view this morning. So just let's just start in Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 25, there's an instruction to husbands. It says, Husbands, love your wives... Ephesians 5.25 Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So we see here Paul the Apostle, an unmarried man. God gave him a revelation of marriage. So firstly, we understand that God's heart for marriage is revealed to us by the Spirit. It wasn't Paul's physical experience, but it was his spiritual experience. Husbands, love your wives as the church, as Christ loved the church. So it's God's standard is it's a high standard, and you know I'm humbled by that as a husband to see that the standard that I have to love my wife is given to me by Christ. And what Christ did is that. He gave himself for the church. He gave up his life, his very life, 
for the church, that is, his bride. He gave up his life. So, just, if a godly girl is has been approached by a godly man for marriage, then the first test or the first measuring stick of that man would be, does he love the church? He claims to love me, but does he love the church? And how does he show that? When you look at Christ, Jesus loved the church. He loved his bride. How do we know that? He gave his life. He poured out his life. He paid for her with his blood. And in verse 32, Paul says, This is a great mystery. This is a great mystery. It's a, so a mystery is something that cannot be understood through natural ways. We need the revelation of God. We need that understanding through the Spirit to understand mysteries. And the disciples asked Jesus that question. He said, why do you speak to us in parables? Why don't you just speak plainly so everybody could understand? And Jesus replied, he said, because unto you is given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So there are, there are mysteries in the word of God. There's mysteries in marriage. There's biblical ways of marriage that we can only understand by the spirit of God and through searching the Word of God and finding these truths and, and applying it to our lives. So there, there are mysteries in the Bible. There are words that God has spoken that need to be unlocked. We have a responsibility to unlock God's Word in our life and discover what these keys are to marriage and to life. And that's why we all have a copy of the Word of God in our hands so we can search it and find solutions to our life and find solutions and help for our marriage. Everything that I'm going to be sharing this morning and tonight is from the Word of God and they are and they to be found and searched in the Scriptures. So marriage is the institution where we can show the world the redemptive plan of salvation, that there is a God who loves people. And there's a God who has identified his bride and is willing to come after his bride to seek her out and to find her, to rescue her and bring her to himself. Jesus came on a mission to find his bride. And Jesus told the story, he said, the kingdom of God looks like something. What does it look like? What does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like a father who puts a marriage on for his son and invites guests. Kingdom of God looks like a marriage feast where Jesus, as the bridegroom, turned up to the first marriage that he would in, in the scriptures in, in, in John, in the book of John, Jesus turned up to a marriage of, in Cana and he became the main event at the marriage. He became the bridegroom where he served wine to the guests. And we know that is a type of of the Holy Spirit. We know that there is, was in the kingdom of God, in, in God's wedding, there's two requirements for the guests. One is that they have to wear a wedding garment. 
And the other is that they need to drink wine. Wine in those days was a covenant, represented a covenant of marriage. And the bridegroom provided the wine and the part of the wedding process, they were consummated through the exchange of wine. So we know wine in the Bible, in the New Testament, in our lives is a type of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus turned up to this wedding and, and, and took over the show and started giving out wine, giving out new wine. And we know that the, the wine of the Holy Spirit speaks about that deposit that he's put within each one of us. And that deposit of the Holy Spirit in your life, is it's a guarantee that you are going to be part of his bride, that he's included you in his family, that he's found you in this world and he's drawn you out. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, you can read about that deposit. So I used, used to sing a song back in the day that there, there is no wedding ring on my finger, but in my heart a deposit unto God. So he's come down, Jesus has come down, he's washed me clean with his blood and he's put on a wedding garment. He's washed you with his blood as we just shared in communion and he's put on a garment of righteousness. So now you no longer wear your old soiled clothes, but he's given you a garment of righteousness, his garment, a garment of holiness that you can wear to the wedding feast. So as we walk through this life, we are preparing to be joined to Jesus for the rest of eternity. That's good news. So there's two requirements that he has over your life to be his bride. One, you have to put on the wedding garment. You have to allow him to wash you with his blood. You have to come to him and be cleansed and receive salvation and wear his righteousness. And the second is that you receive his spirit, his Holy Spirit. You drink of his new wine. Be filled with his wine. Don't get drunk on the wine of this world, but be filled with the spirit of God. Be filled with his joy. Be filled with his his happiness, and understand his heart. When we get filled with the Holy Spirit, we get filled with the joy of heaven. We get filled with the mind of God concerning our life. So you can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 17, it says, He who is one in spirit is joined to the Lord. So he who shares in the Holy Spirit, who, who drinks of the Holy Spirit, is joined to the Lord. We're joined to the Lord. We become one, like in a marriage covenant. When a husband and wife come together in marriage, they become one, no longer two, but they become one. The same in the Spirit. When we join to Christ, we drink of His Spirit, we become one with Him. Not separable. But together, one, we are one with him, not just for this life, but for all of eternity. And uh, part of the mystery of walking uh, in marriage covenant with the Lord is understanding our great need. Okay? And, and that is a humbling thought. Paul talked about how he was caught between two great needs in his life. One was that he would be here to present the bride of Christ as a, in the old King James English, a chaste virgin 
to Jesus when he appears. So Paul took upon himself a great responsibility to present the church to Christ. But he said, I'm, I'm divided between two great needs in my life. One is the church and the other is just to be with him. And he, he, he was struggling. It was a great struggle in his life. He didn't know whether he should stay and do the work of the Lord or go to be with him. And that was how he remained balanced in his life. So the revelation or the understanding of the bride of Christ, it brings balance to our life. Why? Because we are called on this earth to walk in authority. We're called to walk in dominion. And sometimes we can get a little bit proud when, when we begin to walk in the power of God and begin to heal the sick. And we begin to do extraordinary exploits. And we begin to prosper in our life. And we apply kingdom values to our life. Sometimes we can get a little bit proud. But when we realize our great need, which is to be with Christ, to be his bride, it humbles us and it levels us and brings balance to our life. So may we... Always, no matter what you do or what, whatever you achieve with God or for Him in this world, may we never lose the passion and the desire to be His bride, to be with Him. We so much need Him. We need Him every day. We need Him every part of every day. He is the goal of our life and He is the one whom our eyes are fixed on. So we see in Revelation 19, you can read that the bride had a responsibility to make herself ready. And that is our responsibility, each one of us. Even though the Bible talks about how in this life we're married to the Lord, in eternity we are his bride. So it's like we have a, in this life we're to be a faithful wife, but in eternity we to be his loving bride. So we are going on an eternal honeymoon. We are going to be celebrating with our bridegroom for eternity. And that's why now we make ourselves ready. So when you think about a bride, and it's something that every young lady looks forward to in their life. And I know for Holly, on her wedding day, she says it was the most happiest, happiest day of her life. It was a celebration. It was all about her. It wasn't about the bridegroom. It was about the bride. I was just, it didn't mean much to me. To her, it was, it was a highlight of her life. But the highlight of us in eternity I mean, I decided I was going to marry her on, the, on our first date, you know. So it wasn't, you know, it was just a process to go through. Um, but for the rest of eternity, we're going to be celebrating like on our wedding day. We're going to have that celebration that a bride has on her day here. So, but there was a, I think about the preparation for that day was quite, um, I know Katie and Tim are going through that preparation now, 
and you know, there's a lot involved. You want everything to be just right, and you know, it, it costs money, and there's processes, and the families involved, and everything. So that is a process that we uh, we have these two things going on as a church. We're doing the work of the kingdom. We're busy doing His work, but at the same time, we're preparing our lives to be the bridegroom and. Uh, because we, we're going on a honeymoon with Jesus. So just a couple of things, I think, to just to establish a healthy marriage. I started off with that instruction to the husbands that we are called to lay our lives down for our wives. as And that is the foundation for any marriage. That is a biblical foundation. And that if we get that right then everything else will be built on that. So there is a, a natural seeking that God has put within man and it brings about some confusion, which we're going to discuss tonight, is that men have that seeking ability and we also have an inherent nature uh, of jealousy. We have that jealousy over our wives and over our property and that is God because God's a jealous God. He's jealous for his bride. And he doesn't want the enemy to take his bride. He's jealous over us and he comes and pursues us. So as a young man prepares for marriage, he has that, that seeking going on. But one of the keys is that he has to learn to submit that seeking desire to his parents and to the body of Christ and to allow the Holy Spirit to take over in that. However, that doesn't just stop when husband and wife come together and get married, that carries on throughout his life and throughout his marriage. And now I have to allow that seeking desire that God has put within me to pursue my wife right through our marriage. And if there is it, any conflict comes up or any misunderstanding, it's not my wife's responsibility to make things good. It's my responsibility to pursue her and to make sure everything is in order. Not only her, but also our children. It's my responsibility as the head of the house to be Christ to the house and to pursue my wife, to pursue my children and to make sure that everything is in order and everything is godly within the house. So God... I, my prayer is that God would raise up strong men in this church that would be able to uh, pursue young girls in a godly way, not in a carnal way. And we're going to talk about that tonight. But for men, the most important thing is that you would submit your life, not only to God, to the Holy Spirit, but to godly men and women that God has put around you and that you would submit your life to your parents. And if you, if you don't have parents, then that God would raise up and that you would identify godly parents within the church and that you would stay submitted, that you wouldn't go off independently and make own, your own independent uh, decisions. It's so important when you, when you study biblical culture and the Jewish culture that men should submit to their parents and to the, the spiritual leaders that God has put over them. When we go off and make our own decisions and take it into our own hands to seek, uh, you know, direction in life, that's when things can go, go haywire. 
So men need to work on their humility and submission to those whom God has put around them. And the standard, the biblical standard, is that you would be willing to lay down your life uh, for, for the church. If you're a young man and, and haven't, not willing to lay your life down for the church, the greater church, the body of Christ, then you're not ready to get married. You're not ready for marriage. Because there's no way you can lay your life down for your wife if you're not willing to lay your life down for the church, for the body of Christ. Why? Because as soon as you get married, then you'll be, you'll be pushed around by the whims of everyone else around you. When you have children, your life will be dictated by your children. That's why first, every young man, if he wants to get married, has to serve the church, has to lay his life down and has to be submitted to godly authority in the church. So secondly, when we look at the ladies, the instruction for ladies is that they are to hide themselves in Christ and they be hidden in Him, not to expose themselves so that they would be game for ungodly predators. But they're hidden in Christ, they're kept safe in Christ. Not that you can't um, speak in the church, not that you can't teach, not that you can't display your gifts or be used, but in whatever you do, you are to be hidden in Christ. And we're going to look at a couple of scriptures um, submitted to Him. And, you know, that you read in Ephesians how wives should submit to their husbands, and that's almost like, you know, that seems like um, almost unfair because we don't have a, a godly display of that in our culture. If a husband can't lay his life down for his wife, if he can't give up his life and lay his own desires down for his wife, then he cannot expect or it makes it impossible for a, a wife to submit to your husband. You can't do that. You can't submit your life to a dictator or an arrogant person of arrogance. You cannot do that. Um, you, it just doesn't work. But we submit our life to Christ because He first loved us. He laid His life down for us. So it's a joy to do that. So the, the idea for, for women is that you would hide yourself in Christ and that you would uh, grow in your self-esteem and your self-worth in Christ and that you would know how valuable you are and how uh, wealthy you are in Him. So that when, so that you have a high standard for your life, so that when uh, you're approached by a man or your future husband, you know your self-worth, you know your value, and there is only the value of Christ is the only value that can attract you. So there's, there's safety uh, for us in Christ. So I'm just going to quickly look at the responsibility in marriage when, when, when two people, imperfect people, come together, you discover each other that neither of you are perfect. And it's easy, very easy just to criticize your spouse and to try and change your spouse. You know, I tried to do that, but it, it didn't work. It backfired. So I had to learn to change myself and to humble myself, and I'm not res responsible, personally responsible for my wife's walk with God, and she's not responsible for mine. 
So I have to change myself, and then uh, God works. So, so a successful marriage is not responsibility. Uh, it, sorry, it is responsibility of each individual. So your marriage is your responsibility. Uh, not to change your spouse, but to change yourself. Um, so there, I'm just going to look at one, uh, one biblical key, one biblical, biblical formula. So there are formulas in the Word of God, just like maths formulas. When you apply certain numbers and sequences of numbers to a maths formula, you can come up with a solution. Okay, so I'm going to look at Job 29, I'm going to look at Proverbs 31, and I'm going to come to Isaiah chapter 60. 29, 31 equals 60, Isaiah 60. And uh, I want to say that uh, Job chapter 29 is the man's responsibility in marriage, Proverbs 31 is the lady's responsibility in marriage, and Isaiah 60 is the outcome. Let's have a quick look in Isaiah 60, see where we're going here. <laughs> I never really got into maths at school. I, I wasn't very good at it, but I like biblical maths. It makes sense. <laughs> Isaiah 60, where we're going as families and what our vision is as a church. Church is a group of families coming together. In Isaiah 60, verse 1, the glory of the Lord is risen. Upon you, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Even though great darkness covers the earth, but it says the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. So we see the the last days church here living in a dark world. In the midst of darkness, the glory of God shines upon us, and we see the outcome is that the Gentiles, the unbelievers, come to our light, and the kings of the earth will come to the brightness of our rising. And the last part of verse 4 should be our family vision, that our sons will come from afar and our daughters shall be nursed at your side. So this is a prophetic declaration regarding family. Not only our spiritual sons will come from afar and our spiritual daughters will be nursed at our side, but our own children in our families will stay together with us. So what are the sons go off? And the Bible tells us that, that, a, that a man shall leave his mother and father and be cleaved to his wife. So usually the process is when a young man grows up and gets married, leaves home, he goes off, joins to his wife, starts his own life, but spiritually he comes back to the father's side. Because when we train children in the way of the Lord, when they're old, they will not depart from it. So we see sometimes our children have to come to their own encounter with God and their own experience with God and they may go off for a little while but the Word of God tells us and the promises that they will come back and that they will be nursed at our side and that we will walk together in life. So our, our sons will come from afar and our daughters will be nursed at our side. Then you will see and become radiant your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. And then you can read all these prophetic promises through Isaiah 60, uh, that the, our gates will be opened continually, 
You'll walk into uh, prosperity. Everything will be blessed. Um, and, and thanks, Brad, for praying that prayer over communion. Uh, but, yeah, look, I, I don't have time to go right through. You can read Isaiah 60, and, and that is where we're heading as a church and as a family. But, however, revival starts with us personally, and a good marriage starts with you personally. It's your responsibility as a husband to be a good husband. It's not your wife's responsibility to make you a good husband. It's your responsibility to be a good wife. As a wife, it's not the husband's responsibility uh, to put that on you. So Job 29, just a few things there. And uh, Job 29, at the start of Job uh, 29 verse 3, he says, he talks about his experience of walking with God in verse 2. He talks about how God watched over his life. And in verse 3, he says, When his lamp shone upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness. So the number one responsibility as men in marriage is to get revelation from God, is to get the light of God uh, upon your head. We know Lucifer was created to be a light bearer. The name Lucifer means light bearer. He was created to be an angel that brought revelation, that understood revelation and walked in the light of God. However, he he left that revelation and, and allowed pride to come up in his life. We too, as men, as leaders in our household, we can leave the Word of God and start walking into pride. That's dangerous. Your number one responsibility as a man over your life and if you're married over your household, is to bring the light, the revelation of God's Word into your life on a daily basis and to bring the Word of God into your marriage and to walk in it. I, I think, Brad, you're, you're an example of that this morning, man. I asked you two seconds before you got up here and led the prayer this morning. And uh, Any of you men, I should be able to give you the microphone. You should be able to stand up here and speak what God's Word is in your life any day because you, your responsibility is to carry the Word of God, to know the Word of God. And it doesn't have to be a, a great big deal. You don't have to be a massive theologian. But your responsibility is to allow the lamp of God, the Holy Spirit, to well up in your life and to bring revelation in your head, spiritual knowledge. Job knew that and he walked in light, and and that's an example, Brad. This morning, I know you've been in the Word, right? You didn't just get up here and just mouth something off, but you're in the Spirit because you you walk in in revelation light, and that's that's encouraging. You're an example, and to to all the brothers here, I know a lot of you guys could do that as well because you don't just wait till Sunday to hear the Word of God, but you go yourself to the Lord. And, and, and get that from him. Job, uh, I think in Job chapter 19, even though Job had some confusion in his life because of the suffering that he was going through, but he had a, Job had a vision of Christ. He knew Jesus to, in some form. In Job uh, 19, in verse 26, he said, After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. So as men, as, as leaders of our families, we may go through trouble in life. 
We may go through unexpected turmoil, financial difficulties, sickness, trials, difficulties. But Job, we can learn from Job, even though his skin was destroyed. In this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold him and not another. So even though Job had great trials and difficulties, he had that revelation of God. He had the flame of God upon his head that he never lost, even through his trials. That's why he confessed, when his lamp shone upon my head, the revelation knowledge of the word of God came into my head, he was able to walk through darkness. And you read right through Job 29, the result of that light upon his head, the result that it produced in his life was quite brilliant. He says in verse 4 that he walked in the friendly counsel of God. He was a friend of God. Job was a friend of God. And God testified of Job to Satan, there is none like Job in all the earth that knows me and walks with me. He talks about uh, that his children were all about him. Verse 6, he says, his steps were bathed with cream. He walked in prosperity. And the rock poured rivers of oil out for me. What was the rock? The rock is Christ, the revelation of Christ. And for us as men leading our families, we have to be founded upon Christ. And we have to understand Christ, what Jesus came to accomplish so that rivers of water can be poured over our lives, so the Holy Spirit can flow freely through our lives and through our families. Uh, Verse 7, he talks about how he took his seat in the open square and began to speak. It speaks about wisdom and authority uh, that God had put over his life because of the revelation that Job walked in. In verse 8, he says, Young men saw me and they hid. Young men saw him and they hid. That means he was a delegator. He was a businessman. And when he saw young men playing around, he grabbed them and said, I've got a job for you. But these young men, they hid from him when he he turned up. So he was a businessman. (coughs) He was a successful businessman. In verse 9 it says, Princes refrained from talking when he began to talk. The word of God was in him to such a level that even the most important princes at that time Stop talking to listen to Job because he walked in revelation knowledge. Down verse 12, he delivered the poor when they cried out. He was a father to the fathers. He looked after orphans because he was blessed and he could. In verse 13, we see the blessing of a perishing man came upon him. The burden of those who are perishing He was a man that looked outside his own needs to the needs of others. It says that he caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. What a blessing, a life that is given over to the word of God. We cause the widow's heart to sing for joy. In verse 15, he was eyes to the blind and he was feet to the lame. Sounds like Jesus. Sounds like walking in revelation knowledge. He was a father to the poor. And he searched out the case that he did not know. Verse 20 talks about his flesh. uh, The glory is fresh within him. And he had fresh 
a touch of glory. Uh, verse 21, men listened to him and waited and kept silence and received the counsel of God. After they heard my words, they didn't speak again. So the word of God was working in his life. So that's a little bit of homework for the men. If you want to live a, lead a good marriage, study Job chapter 29 and bring that to your marriage. Um, we hear a lot about the requirements for a wife from Proverbs 31, but we hear very little about the requirements for men. And I, I actually quite burdened by the Lord when I see the quality of the young ladies that God is bringing into this ministry. And I don't see the men rising up. I don't see strong young men who have dedicated their life to the church. But I'm excited because I know that the, the devotion of the young ladies is going to draw young men in the spirit as they submit their lives to Christ. It's, they're, they're not going to look at carnal men. They're going to, they're going to be interested in, in young men that are willing to lay their lives down for the church. It's, it's very powerful. Just quickly in Proverbs chapter 31, I want to start in verse 10. It says, Who can find a virtuous wife? Her worth is far above rubies. Rubies, I did a quick uh, search on the internet. Rubies are extremely expensive stones, red in colour. And there's been some rubies that have been found that are worth millions and millions of dollars. In fact, their worth is much more than diamonds. And rubies, once they're found... Are there to be kept safe. And a virtuous wife, virtue, virtuous means wise. A wife who has submitted herself, where does she get that wisdom? Not from herself, but from Christ. And where are rubies found? They're found deep within layers of rock. The rock we know is Christ, whom we're to be founded on. And, and we're going to be looking at some practical ways how tonight, as women, we can set ourselves into Christ and be like that valuable ruby that is going to cause uh, a young man who is willing to pursue true godly value and true godly character, just like a miner who is willing to go deep into the layers of rock to find that, that ruby of great value. So a virtuous wife, a wise wife, is worth far more than rubies. And we see that the heart of her husband safely trusts in her. Why? Because he has seen that her character is founded in Jesus, that her life is hidden in Christ. And it is only such a life that can draw the wisdom of God. So young ladies have a drawing factor but it, as you submit that drawing factor to Christ, you take on just that spiritual intelligence of Jesus, that only a, a spiritual man who honours Christ and honours the body of Christ can actually draw that out from you. Nobody else, no carnal man has any interest to pursue uh, that which is hidden in Christ. So a part of a husband safely trusts in her. And I have to say, after 26 years of being married to, to Holly, that my heart trusts in her. I trust her impeccably. And I can see as she has submitted her life to Christ, not just before our wedding, but after our 
wedding, she's continually laid her life down for our family, our children, for my life. And I honor her and I uh, hold her in high esteem. And I actually trust her uh, with my heart. And we, we see that, that she does good for her family. Um, you can see she's a business lady. She seeks uh, to be productive with her hands. Uh, you can go right through that and, and see so many practical ways. She buys a field. She considers a field and buys it. Uh, with the profits that she gains from her entrepreneurial activities, she plants a vineyard so that she can take care of her family and for the poor around her. She girds herself with strength. She submits her life to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, and strengthened in her arms. We see her lamp does not go out by night, and uh, we, we see that there's a lamp of the Holy Spirit burning in her life. And uh, even though she may be sleeping at night, her heart is awake in communion with God. Uh, that is uh, the Proverbs 31 woman. She says she's free from fear. She serves the poor. She's free from fear and her household is clothed in scarlet. She understands her price is higher than rubies and her self-esteem, her self-worth is of high value so that her clothing is fine linen and purple. She walks in royalty like a royal princess because... Uh, she knows her value and she knows what she deserves. Her husband is known in the gates and uh, goes on and on. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And uh, we see charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And we see uh, that words can be cheap in this life, but your life speaks louder than your words. And, you know, as, as, a, as a Job 29 man comes again together with a Proverbs 31 wife, as you join your lives together, your children will call you blessed and they will speak with the enemies of the gate, as it says in, in Psalm 128, I think it is, that you, your children... Uh, will be olive plants around your table, that your children will be fat and flourishing. <laughs> oh, Ty, why are you laughing? <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be fat with the goodness of God. I'll be flourishing. Yeah. yeah. So look, we, we're not perfect, you know. It's It's not... It's not a matter of being perfect or selecting the perfect person to spend your life with, but it's a matter of uh, being sincere. And it's a matter of being humble and teachable. And I'm learning more, and my prayer is that God would make me teachable, that God would make me humble, that I would be always learning. Um, you know, uh, uh, you can ask our children, uh, our lives are not perfect, but we are learners and we're submitting. So I... I would pray that, you know, as men here, that you would go through Job chapter 29 and as ladies you would go through Proverbs 31 and you would pray and you would see each of those points and you would ask God to make it real in your life. But as, as if you are young people here preparing for marriage, 
then submit your life to your parents, to your earthly parents, get guidance from them, and submit your life to your spiritual parents and get guidance from them. And I know that's the way I entered into marriage with Holly. Holly was suggested to me by uh, my spiritual parents at that time, and I was led by the Holy Spirit to her. I submitted my desire to the Holy Spirit. He led me to her, and then we got to know each other. And we didn't choose each other based on natural things. It was a spirit-led arrangement. But then after we were married, we discovered even, uh, you know, well into our marriage that so many similarities growing up. We both came from similar families. We, we grew up in a similar area. Uh, we played similar sports. And, you know, even things like, um, you know, like snow skiing. We never, we never skied. We both skied together. Growing, we both skied with our families growing up. But it wasn't until 10 years into our marriage that we, we thought, oh, let's go, let's go snow skiing. We could both snow ski. But we never, you know, those things never brought us together. But, you know, we allowed God to bring us together. And then those natural things came after. So as we look to the Holy Spirit to arrange our marriages, uh, He's the best one to do that for us. And uh, as we submit our desires, as young men, it's so important to submit your desires to your earthly parents, if they're not around, to your spiritual parents, and preferably both. It's a safety net for you, and it stays that way for the rest of your life. I never had a, a father growing up. I thought I had to do it all by myself, but God raised up spiritual fathers for me in the church that have filled that need. And I pray that that would, that would happen here for us. So, yeah, we, we're just going to, I'm just going to pray. We're going to finish. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a song this morning. I, I just want to, just, I would just want us to submit our life to the Lord. And uh, I want us to pray for the young adults in our community uh, there's a lot of confusion in the area of, of marriage and dating and, and you know, we, we need help in that situation. So I'm just going to pray, ask you to join with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for marriage. We thank you that marriage is not man's idea, it's your idea. Father, as you started this world with a marriage, with a joining together of Adam and Eve, you selected Eve for Adam and you brought him to her. Father, I thank you that Adam didn't have a say in it. Father, I thank you, God, that even as young men and women and as moms and dads, as fathers, as mothers in this church, we submit our lives to you. And whatever mistakes we've made, we thank you for your grace to cover them. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom as a church to display your heart to this world. Father, we thank you for strong marriages rising up. Father, I thank you for strong men, that you would bring strong men, strong leaders that are gentle, that are humble, but are willing to lay their lives down for their wives 
and they're willing to lay their lives down for your church. We thank you for the bride of Christ. We thank you for the church of the living God. Father, I thank you, Lord, that, that your church is making herself ready, that we are getting ready. We are getting ready to be with you, to, to enjoy eternity with you. I thank you for calling us your bride. Father, that we would be found faithful when you return. I thank you that when the Son of Man returns, you will find faith on the earth. I thank you, God, that we are a people of faith, that we are not led by our carnal nature. We are not led by our sense nature, but we are led by our spirit. I thank you that bringing us into your spirit, I thank you that we are people of the spirit, that we are led by you. Father, I pray that you would open our spiritual eyes. We would see as you see, that you would open our spiritual ears and we would hear as you hear. Father, that you would help us speak as you speak. Father, I pray for the men in our community that each of us would have revelation knowledge, that we would walk in the counsel of God, that we would not only speak your word, but we would live your word. Father, that we would be an example to our families, that we would be an example to our church, and that we would be an example to our community. I thank you for your word is light. Your word is life and brings understanding. Father, I just pray for our ladies, our, our, our women in the church. I thank you that their lives speak. I thank you for their devotion to you. Father, I just pray that you would build up their self-esteem. Father, that they would know their worth and their value in you is far above rubies. It's far above any treasure that this world has to offer. And they cannot be uh, mistreated. Father, I thank you that they are valuable. Father, that you hold them in high esteem. I thank you for the, they are princesses and they are worthy to walk with you. Father, I thank you that you will provide that which they need. Lord, and as, as the young ladies in this church submit themselves to you, I thank you that you will meet every desire in their heart. Father, I thank you that you have called us to be your representative on the, in this world. And I thank you for our families. I thank you for our children. Lord, our children will walk with you. They will follow you all the days of our, our lives and they will be nursed at our side. Father, I thank you for godly sons and daughters. And if there's any that have gone astray, Father, I thank you by your spirit, you'll pull them back. You'll bring back the prodigals, that they will return to the Father's house. They will be embraced by your love. Father, that you would bring them back with cords of love, that you would draw them to your side. Lord, I thank you, God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for this church and the families in this church, they will serve, we will serve the Lord. Father, I thank you that as we walk in your light, that the Gentiles will come. The kings of the earth will come to the brightness of our rising. Father, I thank you that as your Holy Spirit pours out upon us, many will come. The lost will return. Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy some fellowship.